Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action and bet online is where you can find it from basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. Bet online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So you for, for the next tip off face off or pitch, Head on over to Bet Online and start your playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. As always, appreciate you being with us and listening in. Today's episode, we are talking about the privatization of sports. Now, obviously, when first thinking about this term, privatization means when you move something from, let's say, government control or having heavy regulation uh, into something that has maybe less control. Uh, obviously, sports uh, have generally been, uh, you know, 99 to 100% of the time have been private endeavors. Uh, they might have some government subsidies or government help here when you're talking about building a stadium or what have you. Or sometimes when something goes through bankruptcy, there might be controlled by a bank or the court, what have you. But ultimately, sports are generally private. But what we're really talking about is that during the pandemic, something uh, of a phenomenon has happened. And that as in-person events basically came to a halt, these sports ventures had to find a way to make more money they had to find a way to bring in more revenue. And so the best way that they could do that was uh, looking for uh, new avenues of revenue. And, you know, in, in many ways, it was sort of these private sports team ownership groups looking at investment in public, publicly traded vehicles uh, for revenue opportunities and growth for their franchises. So we could see this through, let's say, the Fenway Sports Group or FSG when they're looking at bringing in LeBron James and some other high-profile athletes and investors uh, who have the money to do that and uh, going about sort of investing in other soccer clubs, going about and investing in sort of other entities. You know, for example, we can look at uh, the sort of MGM Music Hall at Fenway. Uh, if this is not the sort of perfect marriage that defines the times of 2020 and 2021. I don't know what does. It's this idea of sort of bringing in entertainment, media, and sports in one place, right? And and obviously the sports betting aspect, which really came online, so to speak, in 2018 when the PASPA law was found unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court. And it was really in 2020 2021, where these deals really started to take off. And 
I think arguably you could say that a lot of these deals were in the works or people were thinking about them, but the pandemic really accelerated that. There's one thing that happened during the pandemic. I think it's this idea that certain things were accelerated. You know, this idea of, you know, working from home, this idea, idea of sort of virtual, uh, this idea of being more mobile, right? Being more accessible all came from this idea from really from the pandemic, from the idea that, you know, you were limited on going outside. At least the government was telling you not to do that. And health officials were telling you not to do that. So, you know, again, back to the Fenway example, we have a ballpark, but then we're bringing in entertainment, you know, because it's a music hall. We're bringing in gambling because you're having sports there. And, uh, and obviously the media aspect, because a lot of these things will be broadcast or be shown in you know, social media or be shown in some sort of uh, pay-per-view setting, right? So uh, we live in a very interesting time. And, and again, um, there's so many other examples. You have Redbird Capital, right? Uh, which is out sort of looking at uh, doing SPACs, you know, which are essentially are uh, special purpose acquisition companies, which in, in a short way of saying it, it's, it's a quicker way to sort of get to an IPO. And as where an IPO goes directly at the source and says, this is what we're investing in, a SPAC, which could really be renamed Sports uh, Purpose Acquisition Company, based on how many sports entities were created and discussed during 2020 and 2021. But, you know, ultimately, um, you know, Redbird was looking at these sort of investments and going, okay, how can we invest in other teams and how can we bring money to the forefront? And of course, you know, Endeavor went public recently uh, after initial uh, try back in 2020. Uh, they eventually went public and they've been a great success. And they're bringing in sort of all these sort of entertainment media and sports properties. And then you have sort of the um, maybe mid-major or sort of minor, let's say platforms or you know, the trillers and what have you that are looking at ways to bring in entertainment media and sports and looking at investors, but then instead of you know coming in with let's say the high price content of live sports and the major, you know NBA, NFL, uh, MLS, NHL, um, NFL that sort of thing, uh, they're looking at maybe uh, sports that are, don't cost as much, uh, sports or or even maybe one-offs with fights or what have you, and then we look at DAZN uh, recently. Uh, DAZN, uh, looking at uh, there was a potential offer for a buyout from Sky. And this is a company that was dealing with financial problems during the uh, during the pandemic, but has now found a way to compete with um, a huge group like Sky, where they've had they now have these uh, Serie A rights for soccer in Italy. So there's just a lot going on. And of course, you know, look, this is not a bad idea from the standpoint that you know, really what's happening with the sort of privatization of sports is I think these sort of investors, these ownership groups, these companies, these baseball teams, football teams, what have you, franchises, teams and leagues are looking really at two things. The first is, is that they're looking at what consumers want and consumers want more of an engagement. They want more of an experience. There was a great Sportico article recently where a Facebook executive had written, and I'm paraphrasing the quote, but it was something along the lines of, the question in the future is not what we want to watch, 
or not what the consumer wants to watch, but it's what they want to experience. So I think when you're looking at this sort of MGM music hall at Fenway, when you're looking at all these bigger venues and you're looking at this idea of even SoFi Stadium, these are all sort of huge developments that sort of bring in entertainment, media, and sports. It's something that can be attended, you know, 365 days a year versus your typical, you know, sports matches where the, you know, the venue is not being used in other times. I remember uh, Peco Park for years has done a, a, a Callaway golf event inside Peco Park in the off season. It may have been done when they were on a road trip, but, but obviously there's, uh, there's some, there's a ton of opportunities here. And then of course, so the first is the reason why I think these companies are doing is, is the fact that uh, it's what the consumers want, right? It's, it's the experience, it's the experiential. But the second thing is really just about revenue, uh, which makes sense, right? Because during 2020, 2021, it really wreaked havoc on uh, in-person revenue, you know, where the NBA, Adam Silver, the commissioner was quoted as saying that 90% of the revenue that really came that comes in is from in person uh, in terms of these team revenues outside of broadcast money, right? So, and then of course, if we look over at college sports, it's not much different. This idea of sort of name, image, and likeness and non fungible tokens or NFT opportunities are really about moving college sports into more of a free market arena, which is not necessarily a bad thing especially when you put the power of the NIL and NFTs into the player's hands and they can utilize that to make some money for, you know, to pay for school or to put away to save, what have you. Of course, all of these things, you're going to need financial literacy and you're going to need sort of this idea of, um, you know, how to save, how to invest and what have you. But uh, I think ultimately this is all about privatizing or it's all about kind of moving things into the free market. I think this day and age, the fans want less structure and they want more experience. This is why you see things like in baseball, it's the age old thing of, you know, uh, coming into interleague play or having expanded playoffs. Uh, this stuff is all about obviously revenue. You want to bring in more revenue, you know, the football NFL adding a 17th and now potentially 18th game. Uh, this idea of maybe going into Germany and having an annual game in Germany along with uh, London and expansion, uh, these are all things about having experience versus getting out of the traditional structure, traditional structure of sports and what, you know, sort of what people think of, you know, tradition, right? I think uh, sports are really moving uh, beyond what they typically sort of uh, play in, so to speak, no pun intended, but that's what they're looking at. And, and, and I think it makes sense from the standpoint of it's what the fans want uh, in the most, for the most part, especially generation um, uh, Z fans and generation uh, X fans, but um, in terms of uh, maybe the older fans, not so much. You like the tradition, what have you. So it's it, we live in an interesting time again, and and I think you know you have some sports looking at you know bringing in and accepting cryptocurrency for tickets. This is something Oakland A's have talked about, and I think are currently doing or thinking about doing. I mean, this is fascinating. I mean, this is an opportunity where essentially you're saying you can attend a game if, you know, you you give us a stock option, um, you know, in sense of cryptocurrency and, um, you know, blockchain technology, which is again connected to NFTs, you know, all money making opportunities, right? 
I even read a story recently where there was a uh, baseball executive in the NFL uh, who left the NFL in a high-level position uh, to, uh, he was actually the head of the league's media and investment strategies to go to Redbird Capital. So we have a lot of, uh, again, interesting things happening. We mentioned the SPACs, uh, private investment in technology has really invaded the sports space, uh, bringing professional sports teams away from mostly privately controlled endeavors into much more of a public type of investment through raising of funds and stock options. So this is, again, I, and I think this may come to a head at some point because sports leagues operate in a very special place, as do, let's say, the unions in Hollywood, in that, uh, you know, you have this sort of idea of the potential for, like, antitrust issues because uh, there's so much control, uh, there's so much sort of, uh, there's even, in baseball specifically, there's an antitrust exemption, uh, but there's this sort of idea of, along with this sort of move to the free market, there's also this sort of Americanization of sports where we're sort of adding labor and union principles of parity, you know, fairness, so to speak, uh, trying to introduce that into um, other leagues across the world. So obviously the Super League effort in Europe is now being penalized by teams. It was recently reported that the six, I think, Premier League teams who decided that they wanted to leave into the Super League were now penalized, I think, a total of 31 or $33 million. They have to pay, I think, 5 to $6 million a piece or something like that, whatever the number was. But um, that Super League was an effort reportedly by a lot of the American team owners who own the English and sort of other soccer teams overseas and the whole point which kind of makes some sense is this idea of stabilizing profits and sort of uh, adding a way to to do that now that's not something that european uh, sports is really used to you know the most for the most part when you're looking at european soccer this is there's this idea of that you know there's relegation teams can move up and down that would never happen in american sports you know, once you have your franchise, especially when you're paying billions of dollars for it, you know, imagine if you paid $2.3 billion for a franchise and the next thing you know, because your team is losing, you're relegated to the minor leagues, obviously brings the valuation down, television dollars, everything. But this is something that is very common in Europe. And then, of course, the television dollars that are shared over there, you know, as you get relegated, you're obviously not going to get a ton of money from that. So things are not as... Um, labor or union intensive in Europe as they are in the United States. So which is kind of an interesting phenomenon because usually it's the other way around. Usually things are more unionized or protected in Europe versus the United States. But in terms of sports, uh, somewhat of an institution here in the United States as it is overseas, but uh, that's the way that at least American owners have looked to uh, protect their interest. Uh, of course, it was also reported recently that Major League Soccer just added another division looking to stabilize its minor league development, uh, moving you know more in line with, let's say, the Major League Baseball or the NHL. Obviously, the NBA is doing this as well through the G League. And then, of course, you've got the Overtime Elite League, which is going to essentially allow high school players to profit off their name, image, and likeness. And it, so, we, again, we live in an, a very interesting time. And then, of course, we have China uh, removing some of its investments in European soccer, and taking that money and putting it into mainland China and looking at 
the potential of having two sports teams in every major city, uh, two soccer teams in every major city to eventually become sort of a soccer powerhouse when it comes to talent development. And then, of course, if we look over at NASCAR, traditionally a sport that stayed the same for many years, we have now this sort of idea of charter distributions being introduced. Again, this sort of unionization or, uh, I, I guess, um, labor-intensive rules where these distributions will allow for revenue streams uh, to be more consistent amongst the racing teams. Obviously, the individual sport, the drivers drive, but uh, they, you know, these racing teams are obviously, you know, uh, filled with sort of mechanics and people who are doing a lot of the business stuff, uh, buying of parts, that sort of thing. But what they're going to do is they're going to reduce the purse every week, the winnings every week, so to speak, for each driver, and uh, put that into a pool of money, which then will be distributed to the teams. So this is a, a very big deal. I don't think it's being talked. I don't think it's being talked about very much. And then, of course, there's this idea of the next generation car, the next gen race car, which is being developed to stabilize stabilize part pricing. So you have this sort of predictability when it comes to the balance sheet, you know, for each season. And of course, when you do those things, you you clearly bring in uh, the interest of investors. And then, of course, investors come in, more money is being placed. Uh, you have a sport that has a little more consistency. And then all of a sudden, you've got, you know, uh, a lot more fans watching. You've got an, And then you get an increase in broadcast fees. So it's... Again, I think a, a terrific opportunity for NASCAR to really grow, see where that goes. I've often thought that, you know, the United States is such a big country and we have a lot of beautiful states and a lot of beautiful cities and sceneries, national parks. I've often thought that, you know, United States would be a terrific place for Formula One racing, terrific place for road courses, uh, even for NASCAR. You know, I, there's it's just so many uh, awesome spots and, and sort of roadways that we have that we could really uh, create some money-making opportunities out of that. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier with this idea of experiences, you know, the the sort of entertainment experience has become so prevalent and, and so important that now we have the group On Location Experiences, OLE, becoming the exclusive provider for the Olympics and Paralympic Games in Paris for 2024. Uh, the Milana um, Milano Cortina games, 2026. And then of course, Los Angeles in 2028 for the Olympic and Paralympic games. So uh, this is again, an endeavor owned company, but these events have gotten so complex that you really can't even do them in house anymore. You know, you've got to sort of bring in these outside folks and it makes sense, right? You know, you, you hire experts, hire experts to get the job done. So, uh, and then of course, you know, this idea of, you know, last week we had on uh, Brian Fuhrer, who's um, the uh, senior vice president um, over at Nielsen. And uh, he was talking about how entertainment and sports is a sort of ever-growing opportunity. And that is so true. And it's even more true in 2020, 2021, if, as leagues and teams and entertainers and entertainment have found new ways to build and create uh, opportunities. I mean, you look at HBO Max and their idea of sort of uh, allowing some films to go direct to consumer. Uh, and that was something that they were, um, you know, hammered on. But at the same time, it was also very innovative. 
And, and it took a lot of guts to do that. And I think it's probably a part of the future. It is a part of the future. I think you're going to see, you know, collapsing theatrical windows, you know, again, more opportunities. You're going to see a lot of these streamers start to uh, have more sports content on them, live sports as those rights become available. And as those rights, I don't think they're going to become less expensive, but as these platforms grow with, um, let's say, subscribers, maybe you get more revenue in the door and uh, you get more folks involved. And so that can sort of help purchase some of those rights, or maybe there are partnerships where there might be a main broadcaster, uh, but then you have an additional platform to display those rights. And again, those contracts will have to be negotiated as sort of we now know what the playing field is and where it's going. And, you know, to uh, the Nielsen point I was making earlier, we now have this potential for a second coming of the USFL, United States Football League, which had um, sort of a, a big play in the 1980s, had a lot of big stars that signed up with them, but it didn't survive and went through an antitrust lawsuit with the NFL, which it, it won, but I think it was awarded like $1 or something. But I think the point is, is that, um, you know, the XFL that's going to now come back potentially for a third time. Uh, I think there's an interest there, uh, but it's just about finding the right place and where it's distributed, how it's distributed. I think, you know, USFL signed a bunch of deals with Fox and some of the other traditional broadcasters, but they're going to have to find some ways to how to connect with people beyond the traditional ways, right? Because you have to meet people where they're at. That's not necessarily on cable. It's going to be on streamers and on different apps. And so I think as long as those things can be found, there'll be some opportunities. I think Apple potentially could be a place for some sports, especially as they're doing a look for content. We're seeing a lot of women's collegiate, collegiate and professional sports really uh, rising and getting more opportunities. You know, it was just reported that there was a $600 merger between the ATP and WTA, uh, which is the uh, men and women's um, tennis uh, associations. So there is just a lot of opportunities. You know, esports is obviously growing. It's reported uh, earlier this, or uh, really with the last week, that um, Team Solo Mid, which is ranked the most valuable youth sports organization in the world in 2020, announced a 10 year, $210 million contract with FTX. So again, we have uh, a really a lot of amazing things going on. The Athletic, which is the um, uh, the sort of great uh, sports content, sports writer content that's a subscriber-based uh, platform, is looking at maybe getting along, getting in with a streaming giant or with uh, maybe with um, the New York Times or Vox or uh, Axios in terms of getting access uh, access to content. We have this idea of the Premier League, uh, Premier Golf League, which could launch, which is basically going to be owned by a community of golf players, tournament operators, and fans, which is completely different from traditional structure of leagues. Uh, so it's, it's, we live in a very interesting time uh, uh, and there's a lot of changes going on. And I think, again, a lot of it really comes down to what the fans want and I think uh, how to bring in more revenue. And it seems like the fans really want experiential and they want to get away, from, especially the younger fans, they want to get away from traditional structures of sports and the tradition of sports. And they want to get into new sports. They want to get into new ways to watch sports. They want to get into having, again, expanded playoffs, robot umpires, 
you know, all these different things. So we, again, a very fascinating time that we live in with entertainment, media, and sports. So, and then of course, sports betting is only going to continue to grow. And I think ultimately, you know, these owners are really looking at this from the standpoint of how can we stabilize the industry? You know, if something like a pandemic happens again, God forbid, but if it does, you know, how can we stabilize the industry and how can we continue to meet consumers where they're at? So again, folks, really appreciate you uh, listening in. This has been uh, episode 24 of season three, talking about the privatization of sports, where uh, we are seeing private sports team ownership groups get into investments through public traded vehicles for revenue opportunities and growth of franchises. So again, a very interesting and fascinating time. So thank you again uh, for listening in and look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much. to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.